I trust that you're all doing well. Greetings to you. God is just doing amazing things in our church at the moment. It's just so powerful, just what we're seeing with regards to prayer and the impact it has on our lives. And I trust that you're all feeling strengthened during this time of prayer and fasting and that God is speaking to you and you're experiencing revelation from above. Well, today my title is Delight Yourself in the Lord. Delight Yourself in the Lord. In the book of Psalms 37 verse 4, scripture that many of us would be familiar with, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I look at scriptures like this, I'm amazed because it speaks to me about prayer, doesn't it? You see, there are many people who are saying the right words in prayer, but the problem is they haven't started with the correct foundation. They haven't packaged their prayer aright. They haven't started off by delighting in the Lord. And here the scripture says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Could it be that you're not experiencing the desires of your heart being manifest in your life simply because you're not taking delight in the Lord? I don't know about you, but I want to maximize my prayer life. I want the desires of my heart to come to pass, to come to fruition. Guess what? I need to then study this whole aspect of taking delight in the Lord. You see, many of us are familiar with the scripture, particularly because of the promise that's embedded in it. And I completely understand this. And that's why it behooves us to study and unpack what taking delight in the Lord actually entails. You see, I can pray many prayers, making petitions for the desires of my heart. But guess what? If I haven't come to a place of delighting myself in the Lord, then perhaps I'm praying amiss. In Psalm 37, verses 23 to 24, it goes on to say, and it's quite similar. It says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his right hand or with his hand. So delight here, that word delight actually comes from a Hebrew word which means soft, it means delicate, it means dainty, it speaks of being uh, pliable, it speaks of spending time in enjoyment. Isn't that powerful? The result of being like this toward God is that he grants me my requests and petitions and he also causes me not to fall. Though I might stumble, I won't fall because he holds me with his hand. It's essential that our prayers are packaged with this mentality and with this heart. It's so, so crucial. I've learned that prayer is not so much about how you put your words together. It's not about getting the right formula. It's more about how you come to God. Someone who delights themselves in the Lord and then comes before God with a few groans will get more results in their prayer than someone with great eloquence who seems to be praying the well put together prayer but their heart isn't in the right place. They're not delighting in the Lord. In this message, I'm going to do it in two parts. I'm going to exegete this passage of scripture, Psalms 37. I'm going to exegete it uh, further to give you a picture of delighting in the Lord, just from one passage. But then afterwards, we're going to take a broad look at scripture and look at nine dimensions of practically delighting ourselves in the Lord. So it'll be in two parts. 
So let's have a look further at this passage. Psalms 37, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 9. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. How many of you out there need vindication? Okay, he will do it. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. I think that's so powerful. And I find it interesting that it doesn't say those who are perfect will inherit the land. It says those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. And it's so interesting because I love this contrast of anger, wrath, right? And fretting, anxiety, and hoping in the Lord. Very often we get angry because our trust is not in the Lord, you see. So from this passage, we learn a few things. The first thing we learn is that we should take our eyes off the apparent success of evildoers. Just take your eyes off that. It seems like they're successful. It seems like they're in a better place than you. Take our eyes off that. Whatever field you're in, whatever you're doing, don't keep looking over the wall. But they've got this. You're just deceiving yourself because they don't really have it. What you have is really great. The second thing is, we should not allow their apparent success to cause us any sense of panic or anxiety. And you notice that sometimes you feel fine until you see someone who's maybe uh, taken a shortcut and you start thinking, oh, they're doing that. And then we start fretting. Don't do that. Don't do that. And you know what's interesting? Sometimes those people who are living in wickedness, they're actually envying you. They're looking at your family. They're looking at uh, how you relate to your spouse. And they're thinking, I wish I had that. I've got a friend who shared a story with me recently. And he said, Paul, there's this guy I was at school with. Um, he's a bit of a wheeler dealer. He's made lots of money, but he lives apart from his wife. He's in another country. She's here. He's doing all sorts of things, but he's got lots of money. And we don't know how he got it, but he's got lots of money. And one day he went up to this particular friend of mine and says, you know what? I really envy what you have. I see what you have with your wife. I see your lifestyle. I see where you're at. I'm not like that, but I envy what you have. The third thing we learn from this passage is we should judge situations by the long-term results. Judge situations by the long-term results. Don't look at a situation just based on what happened yesterday or what happened in the space of one year. Where does it end? We've seen this. We've seen um, dodgy ministries grow very quickly. And people say, yes, that's the key. That's the formula. But after a few years, we don't see them anymore. 
And I believe that God is taking us into a season where we really understand how do you build a church that lasts? How do you build a church that goes into the next generation? So we see this in ministry. But I'm telling you, it happens in business. It happens in education. A lot of people get to the top very quickly, but they're not at the top for very long. You see, your competence can get you to the top, but it's your character that will keep you there. And a lot of people don't stay there. The fourth thing we learn here is that we should be aware of the short-lived nature of their apparent success, which is what I'm reinforcing right now. The fifth thing is that we should place our trust completely in God. What would your life look like right now if you placed your trust completely in God? The sixth thing we learn is that we should dwell in the land that God gives us and actually enjoy it. And I'm not just talking about a physical space or physical land, but it speaks to me more of contentment and acceptance that this is where I'm at right now in this season. The seventh thing we learn from this passage is that we should see God as our source of joy, our source of reward, and our source of vindication. And you see this in the life of Jesus, don't you? He didn't have to explain himself to everyone. You know, often we want to be understood by everyone around us, you know, and we almost get caught up because of our anxiety and it affects our behavior because we're now trying to control people's perception of us. You can only do so much in terms of influencing how people see you. I believe God is taking us to a place where we realize that our validation comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. The eighth thing we see here is that we should trust that he desires to grant us the desires of our heart. I know that I don't have to twist his arm to get certain things out of him. He wants to bless me and he doesn't just want to bless me with just enough. He wants to bless me abundantly because that's the nature of the God we have where I have more friends than I need. Okay, where I have more finances than I need and from the overflow I can give, where I have more wisdom than I need. God is an abundant God. His name is El Shaddai and that's his nature. And sometimes we treat him like he's the God of just enough. We should trust that he desires to grant us the desires of our heart. The ninth thing we learn here is that we should commit our ways to him. These are all characteristics of this person who delights in the Lord. Commit your ways to him. The tenth one is we should not impulsively try to make a plan when we see what the wicked are doing. Rather, we are called to be still and let God fight our battles. Just let that be your default. I know many of us are very action orientated and we always have to do, do, do. But the scripture is very clear. It says, do not fret. It leads only to evil. In verse 8b, do not fret. It leads only to evil. How much of your behavior, your actions, the things you do, the things you say, are anxiety-driven, are fear-driven? Just think about that. God is taking us to a place of being still and operating from a place of rest. The person who delights in the Lord is able to do that. He rests in the Lord. It's so, so important. The 11th thing we see in this passage, there's so much here, isn't there? We should not fear the devices and schemes of the wicked. And some of you are in a place in your life where your behavior, your moves, your plans, your strategies right now are being so influenced by anticipated pain. Fear is the anticipation of pain, you see. 
And often you're thinking, ah, what if this guy does this to me? What if they do this to me? And you literally create all these imaginary wars, things that haven't even happened yet. And they're literally controlling your mood, controlling your family life, these thoughts. I believe that God is taking us to a place where we're free from the fear of devices and schemes of the wicked. And that's what the scripture says. It says, those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Don't be afraid of them. Do what God is telling you to do. Do what you see is taking place in heaven concerning you. Locate yourself in scripture and flow with that. You're not on the defensive. You're on the offensive. The 12th thing we see in this passage is that we have the power to refrain from anger, which often has its root in not trusting God, in being fearful, and in being self-righteous. If you actually study anger, you'll see that often it's rooted in fear. It's rooted in anxiety. It's rooted in, I'm not trusting God, so I'm going to take matters in my own hands. Bible tells us that the anger of man will not achieve the righteousness of God. All right. And a lot of us have struggled in this particular area, but we have the power to refrain from anger. And that's why here the scripture says is turn from wrath, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. You have the power to do it. Scripture never tells us to do things that God doesn't enable us to do. The 13th 13 thing we see here is that fretting leads to evil. It says, do not fret, it only leads to evil. It leads only to evil, all right? A lot of times, the evil we do stems from fear. Wars are started because of fear. Oh, we thought they would attack us. That's why we're doing it. Just think of certain wars today and think of the reasons behind the, the wars and what people say. Often it's greed and fear. For a lot of people, attack is the best form of defense. But the problem is, what are you defending yourself against? Sometimes if I imagine that you're about to attack me, then I will defend myself. But you haven't actually attacked me yet. But then I will attack you and I'll say I was defending myself. Okay. The 14th thing we see here is that hoping in God results in us entering our place of blessing and our place of destiny. So in summary from this passage, we see that we must enjoy God. Enjoy God and see him as your source of joy. And as you do so, you will realize that man has no power over you. And you will stop worrying or getting angry about what you anticipate people can do to you. And this type of contentment and this type of peace in God is actually your weapon and also your place of reward and destiny. That's my summary of this particular passage. Enjoy God and see him as your source of joy. In other words, take delight in him. Extremely powerful. I'd encourage you to meditate on the whole of Psalm 37 because it's so powerful just in the world we live in today in terms of what you actually get out of it. Now I want to move in a slightly different direction, still talking about delighting ourselves in the Lord, but what does delighting yourself in the Lord look like in the life of a believer? And I actually want to look at it now broadly, examining a number of scriptures. I want to give you nine dimensions of delighting ourselves in the Lord. The first one is we invest in his kingdom. If you want to see someone who's truly delighting themselves in the Lord, they invest in the kingdom. That's one of the things they do. 
okay? We do this with our time, we do this with our talents, and we do this with our treasure. In Matthew 13, 44 to 46, the Bible says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. Here's the principle. You will enjoy kingdom life the most when you prioritize it. You will only enjoy kingdom life the most when you actually prioritize it. You see, by investing in it, your time, your talents, your treasure. We give God our best with regards to our use of time. So we start our day with him. We have appointments with him. I've been talking a lot about praying and praying for extended periods. One of the keys to that is having appointments with God, saying to yourself, I need to be praying X number of hours, X period per day, okay, in this season of my life. For what God has called me to, this is how much I need to be praying, right? You set appointments with God. You decide beforehand that this is where I'm going to meet God. This is when I'm going to meet God. And you don't compromise on that, okay? We're attentive to his burdens and we've relinquished our own burdens. In Matthew 6, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Isn't this so similar to Psalms 37 verse 4? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Which things? Those things you are worrying about. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's been saying, don't worry about this. Don't worry about what you eat or drink, clothes that you wear, etc. He says, seek first the kingdom. And that word first speaks of make a priority. Make it a priority. Make it the most important thing. And then guess what? Once you've done that, all these things will be added to you. I believe that for some people who are Christians, who are seeking other things first, God as your father looks at you and thinks, you know what? It's going to be so dangerous giving this person anything they want because it's going to crush them because their priorities aren't right. Be a steward. Be the kind of person where God can trust you with more because he knows that he will always come first. It's like with children, isn't it? Sometimes a child matures and you feel like, mm, this child is now ready to have their own vehicle. This guy, this child is now ready to have his own phone, right? But when they're immature, you feel it's irresponsible on your part as a parent to entrust them with certain things. Why? It will destroy them. I believe God is the same. God is the same. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, don't seek those things. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Only after you've got that as a foundation, then yes, you can start saying, I would like this. I would like that. Delight in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. But first delight in him. Right? So, so important. Are you able to say, along with Paul the Apostle, In one of his prison epistles, Philippians 1, verses 21 through to 24, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is actually gain. If I'm going, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
right? But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Can you see how he was torn? It was a win-win for him. You couldn't destroy this guy. Hey, if, I, if I'm alive, it'll be fruitful labor. That'll be a joy for me because I love these people, right? But if I die, that's also cool. I'll be with Christ. It will be gained, okay? To die is gain. Are you in a place in your life where you're so kingdom-minded that no one can rob you of joy? Remember the Bible tells us that this is the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. A true kingdom person is always walking in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The second dimension of someone who's truly delighting in the Lord is this. Our lives are characterized by praise and thanksgiving. Have you noticed that when you delight in someone, you're always just singing their praises? Someone who delights in their spouse, they're always just talking about their spouse, raving about their spouse, how wonderful they are. You can't say, I delight in the Lord, but there's no life of praise and worship and thanksgiving in you. In Acts chapter 16, 24 to 26, it talks about how... Uh, uh, Paul was before the council and they threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, it was Paul and Silas. Now you'd think they'll be feeling sorry for themselves. But look what it says. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. I've shared with you before that they would often pray through certain watches. So they were probably doing the 12th midnight watch. They were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They weren't just praying for breakthrough. They weren't just praying, God, get us out. They were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. When you begin to praise God with all your heart, people will listen to you. And it's okay doing it in front of people. They might think you're weird. They might think you're crazy. But Think of King David. He says, I will praise him in front of the congregation. I'll praise you before the peoples, right? Praise doesn't have to be this private thing that we do. It says they were listening to them. Verse 26, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened, okay? But what is the key? Praise the key was praise. I believe that praise is a weapon of righteousness. It's a weapon of righteousness. It's a weapon for breakthrough. And we need to have lives that are delighting in the Lord. And how do we do so? One of the key things is we praise. We rejoice in Him. One of the things that will keep you joyful is rejoicing. There's certain actions that bring about joy. And one of those actions is rejoicing. We talk about God's goodness a lot, even when we are usually a, being a quiet person. You know, if someone, you have some people, they're quiet, but the moment you start talking about God's goodness, the moment you start talking about the Lord, they have a lot to say. And that shows that this person delights in the Lord. They haven't got a lot to say about other things, but hey, let's talk about God. Let's talk about his goodness. I will testify. When you delight in someone, you can't stop talking about them. If you keep talking about someone a lot, I'll be thinking, hmm, you're quite fixated with this person. You're quite obsessed with this person, right? Why do I say that? Because you're talking about them a lot. They're always on your lips. Their name is always on your lips. It should be the same as we relate to God. The third dimension of delighting in the Lord is we hang on every word that God speaks. We hang on every word that God speaks. We are hungry to hear what God has said 
and what he will say. When you delight in someone, you're actually drawn to their words. You love to hear their voice. You love the sound of their voice. I think that's so powerful. In Matthew 4 verse 4, Jesus answered, and this is when the devil was trying to tempt him in the wilderness. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isn't that powerful? We don't live on bread alone. Even in this time of fasting, we're saying our delight is in your words. So we get into the word. Our delight is in hearing your voice. Our delight is in you. And we feed ourselves with his word. I still remember when I was in form one, I was about 12 turning 13 and I was at boarding school and I was so, so hungry for the word. And I remember I had this good news Bible. And as I would uh, go into rest period, you know, we used to have about an hour rest after lunch and I would sit on my bed and I just would look so forward to reading my Bible. And sometimes I'd been feeling a little bit hungry, but I would start to literally feel physically full because of the word. It was amazing because I felt like I was literally eating it. And I believe that we need to live by the preceding word, the word that comes forth from his mouth. In John 6, 68 to 69, Jesus had just preached a difficult message. He just said, um, can you eat my body? Can you drink my blood? And people didn't understand what he was saying. I was like, this is a difficult teaching. And they started to leave him. One by one, people started just leaving him. And he said to the disciples, and you too, are you also going to leave? And look what Simon Peter said. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the, uh, the Holy One of God. Isn't that powerful? Where can we go? Some translations say, your words are spirit and life. Your words are spirit and life. In Psalms 19, verse 7, and I'm going to read from 10 through to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect. Do you love God's laws? Do you love his word? Refreshing the soul. Are you refreshed by his word? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You know that feeling you sometimes have where you just need something sweet in your mouth, you just want to taste something. Maybe it's after having a meal um, and you just want, you know, a bite of chocolate. I know for many of you, it's more than just a bite. You know, you want a bit of dessert and so on, right? And there's that sense of delight you experience where it's like, oh, there's dessert. I didn't, I didn't expect it. Okay. And um, it's a bit like that with the word, isn't it? When you love God's word so much and you're like, oh, this is yummy. This is juicy. Oh, I'm getting this revelation, right? God wants us to delight in him. The fourth dimension of someone who delights in the Lord is this. We are addicted to his presence. If I can use that term, we are addicted to his presence. In the book of Psalms 51 verses 10 through 12, I'm reading from the Berean Study Bible. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. This is so, so powerful. So, so powerful because it shows you how desperate he was 
for God's presence and how he didn't want God's presence to leave him. You see, in the Old Testament, they didn't necessarily always have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling within them. Within them. Very often the Holy Spirit would come upon them for certain things they'd been appointed to do and they would be anointed for certain, uh, for certain tasks. For us in the New Covenant, we have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling within us. That is one of the joys of being born again, being born of the Spirit. We can be baptized into the Holy Spirit. And here David, is he's got this New Testament revelation that, wait a minute, can't I have God's Spirit permanently with me? And he's crying out for that, right? Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knew the power of God's presence. How desperate are you for his presence? And when you're not experiencing his manifest presence, do you feel something is missing? Sadly, we become so familiar with his presence. We don't know how to be when we're in his presence. But I'm telling you, his presence is so precious. Look at what uh, Moses said in Exodus 33 verses 14 to 16. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Isn't that powerful? Many of us today, we're quite happy just doing stuff outside of God, outside of his presence. But, De but uh, Moses here says, do not send us from here if we're not going to go with your presence. He knew the power of the presence. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You see, when you delight in God's presence, when you delight in God, you're so addicted to his presence and your mindset is, you know what? Any accolade I've got, any crown I've got, any label I've got is worthless. That does not distinguish me. I'm distinguished by his presence. That's the only thing. And so I'm desperate for his presence. It's not his presence plus, plus, plus. No, I don't have to add anything else to his presence. I need his presence. And so we are hungry for his presence. We delight in him, right? I remember the Lord challenging me years ago and saying, Paul, you know what? When you got born again, you bore my name. We bear Christ's name. So why do you want to add other names to yourself? Why do you want to attach other labels to yourself? Is my name not enough for you? Is my presence not enough for you? This is so important. I believe God is taking us back to a place where the fear of the Lord will be so strong in our midst where we're just like, God, you know what? I'm desperate for your presence. Just give me your presence. Nothing else. I'm fine. I just want your presence. The fifth dimension of someone who delights in the Lord is this. We don't hold back talking about him to others. And this is so important. Jesus said that if you're ashamed of me and of my teaching, so will the Son of Man be ashamed of you when he enters the glory of his Father's splendor. You see, when you delight in someone, you're not ashamed of them. You're willing to talk about them. You're willing to brag about them in front of people. I'm always talking about my wife, whether I'm uh, running a corporate uh, seminar, I'm always raving about her because I delight in her and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm always talking about my kids because I delight in them. I'm not hiding the fact that, oh, I've got these boys. Oh, I'll... no. We evangelize and we testify of God's goodness to those who don't know him. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, 
For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, right? We were there when he was transfigured. We were there when he ascended. We were there. So if you've tasted something of God's goodness, you cannot help but talk about his goodness. You can't help but talk about it. Why would you be silent? And for some of you, you have to be delivered from shyness when it comes to testifying about God's goodness. Do not be ashamed of it. Do not over-calculate or overthink. What will they think? Will they think I'm one of those Christians who's too radical? Don't worry about it. Be loosed from that. Be loosed from that. Delight in the Lord. Don't let anything stop you or anyone stop you from delighting in the Lord. I'm not going to let anyone stop me from delighting in God. Why? He's the source of my promotion. People can look at me. People can frown upon me. People can be like, oh, Paul, you know, I don't care. Right. I was sitting this morning um, as, you know, uh, my wife was was uh, going in for uh, an ankle up and, you know, she was doing the the admin around it and so on. And I was just sitting there waiting and I was praying in the spirit. I was praising God in other tongues, just sitting there. I wasn't disturbing anyone. And I noticed this lady staring at me. She was fairly close. Didn't faze me the least bit because I'm not going to stop praising God and declaring his goodness and welcoming his presence in certain environments just because people are watching. No, no ways. Okay. Their opinion of me will not shape my destiny. My destiny in life is based on God and I will praise him before the people. I'll praise him in front of people, right? So this is so important. The sixth dimension of someone who delights in the Lord is this. We are malleable, we are pliable, and we are responsive to God's instruction. This is so important. And if you look at that word, delight, It speaks of this, being pliable, being malleable, being responsive to God, being soft, being tender to the things of God, not hardened. And there are many things in life that harden us. Sometimes we can be hardened by ministry, just being in church. Okay. Sometimes we are hardened at work when we feel like, hey, I'm not being treated fairly here. We are hardened in marriage. You can be hardened. So we see this in 1 Samuel Chapter 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom will not endure. There's a prophetic word going through to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. A man who delights in him, basically. A man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. It's so interesting because Samuel didn't say, Oh yeah, you're no longer the king. I'm going to find someone who's perfect. No, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler. I believe that God is still doing that. God wants to raise up leaders who are people who are after his own heart, people who delight in him. I believe that delighting in the Lord and being a man after God's own heart is a key to spiritual promotion. He's looking for such people because those are the people he can work with because they're sensitive and responsive to God. You see, David wasn't described as a man after God's own heart because he was perfect, but largely because he was malleable. He was malleable. You know, he would repent after sinning. That's the thing. He would mess up, but he would repent. Genuine 
heartfelt repentance. He was sensitive and responsive to God. It didn't take him a long time to repent. For some of you, you've grown so hard, so hard. Don't let your heart be hardened. In the book of Psalms 3, Psalms 51, verses 3 to 4, it says, For I know my transgressions. This is David praying, prayer of repentance. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. See, often God will challenge us on certain things in our lives, but then we, we almost like attack God, like, no, this is not fair, no, this is not right. And we're still proud. We're so proud. A person who delights in the Lord is someone who's soft before God, tender, pliable, malleable, quick to listen, quick to repent. The seventh dimension of someone who delights in the Lord is this. We are straightened toward God and not bent toward man. We are straightened toward God and we're not bent toward man. And you saw this earlier on in Psalm 37 where it just emphasizes, don't focus on what the evil and the wicked around you are doing. Don't fear them, rather fear God. In Acts chapter 5, verse 28 to 29, it says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us responsible for this man's blood. Talking about Jesus' blood. Verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. I mean, this is the same Peter who had denied Jesus. These are the same disciples who ran away when they saw that Jesus had been arrested. And now, filled with the Holy Spirit, they basically said, you know what, guys, we must obey God rather than men. I'm telling you, this is a massive shift in the life of someone who delights in the Lord. You are straightened toward God. You're not bent toward man. In John 5, verse 41 and verse 44, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I don't receive glory from men. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Some translations describe it as honor. I do not receive honor from man. I receive the honor that comes from God. This is so important. This is so crucial. God is calling us to a place where we are not bent toward man, to the praise of man, where we're boosted because we're praised by people. And then when they reject us, we're distraught. In Galatians 1 verse 10, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, Paul reveals something here. He's showing us that maybe he used to be a man pleaser. Maybe when he went out trying to persecute all the Christians and so on, maybe he was actually doing it to gain praise from the Jews. Hey, look what I did. Look how successful I was persecuting these people. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Could it be that you've disqualified yourself from being a true servant of Christ because you're a man pleaser? And let me tell you something. Many people with the man pleasing spirit are very nice people, 
But the problem is you cannot be a servant of Christ, a true, pure servant of Christ, if you're still a man pleaser. Here's the principle. Delighting myself in the Lord sometimes will mean and will look like I'm not delighting in other people around me. Sometimes what it will look like practically is I'm saying no to you because I need to delight in the Lord. I'm saying do not disturb me, people, because I'm needing to delight in the Lord. You see, you can't delight in everyone and everything. I'm exclusively delighting in the Lord and in the things of God. And because of that, I cannot still be delighting in the things of the world. Just think about that. The eighth dimension of delighting in the Lord is that we rejoice in kingdom progress like Jesus did. We're excited about the things of the Lord. One of the things I've noticed is that a lot of people are indifferent concerning kingdom advancement. Don't be indifferent to kingdom progress. Don't be indifferent towards it. Okay. Have you ever had an experience where you share something exciting about missions or someone's salvation or how God touched someone and healed them and just have these blank looks, you know, because the people can't identify with it. I remember experiencing this at uh, university in the mid 90s. I remember someone actually making a comment about the things that excited Paul, right? things that had excited me. I was sharing with a few friends saying, wow, this person came to know the Lord and I witnessed to this person and this is what happened. And this person was sort of in and out of church, a bit lukewarmish, just made a comment and just said, it's interesting to see the things that Paul gets excited about. They couldn't identify with it. If you delight in the king, then you will delight in his mission and in his agenda. Simple as that. In Luke chapter 10, verse 21, and I'm going to read from verse 23 to 24 also. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the spirit. This is Jesus. He had just sent out the disciples. They had come back just raving about, you know, uh, demons being cast out and so on. And the result was Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Okay. The language that's used there is a ghoul. He was spinning ecstatically, excited because of mission. And he says, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes which have seen these things that you are seeing. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see these things which you see and did not see them and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. That is so powerful. Jesus is basically saying, guys, don't get too familiar with this. This is what the prophets of old and the kings of old longed for, but you're experiencing it. Rejoice like I'm, in re I'm rejoicing right now because this was not normal back in the day. This is what they longed for. Have you become too familiar with kingdom activities or do you still rejoice with the advancement of the kingdom just like Jesus did? Do you still get excited when you hear of salvations? Because the Bible says there's great rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. Is there great rejoicing in your heart? Do you delight in kingdom things? This is so crucial. And then the ninth and final dimension I want to share with you of someone who delights in the Lord is this. We have renounced anything that cools our passion for Christ. 
We have renounced anything and everything that calls our passion for Christ. And you know, it's so important to understand that we're not just talking about sin. We're talking about distractions. We're talking about the things that stop us from praying. In Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I like it in the NLT. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. So it's not necessarily sin, but they're those things that are weights that slow us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So powerful. And this is why it's possible to fast. We're not given to food because Christ has become our delight. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. I believe God is taking us to a place where we need to starve the flesh by dying to the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes that I'm not going to see this, right? Like, like Job did. He made a covenant with his eyes, the Bible says, right? And the pride of life, we're starving those things. The pride of life, all those things that give people a sense of status, during the course of the week, we've been, praying for, uh, we've been praying strong prayers of relinquishment, where we're relinquishing our sense of status, our sense of title, our sense of popularity. We're dying to all those things. Our sense of what a good life looks like, we're relinquishing them so that we make room for God to move. I believe that God is taking us to a place where we renounce anything and everything that cools our passion for Christ so that we can burn for Him. So embracing these ingredients is going to actually help us to delight ourselves in the Lord. And the result of this is that we actually granted the desires of our hearts. And this is how we get results in engaging heaven. It's when we come to this place of delighting in the Lord. We're more effective when it comes to engaging heaven. You see, it's not about a prayer formula. It's more about how the prayer is housed, how the prayer is packaged. So I encourage you to meditate on Psalms 37 and meditate on some of these scriptures that I've shared with you concerning delighting ourselves in the Lord. When we come to this place, I promise you, I promise you, our prayers are more powerful because they're packaged aright. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for the grace that is available in this season for us to truly delight in you. Lord, we renounce anything and everything that will cool our passion for you. Lord, we choose to put you first, to put your kingdom first, to put kingdom advancement first, and to delight in the things of your kingdom. We choose to delight in you. We place you as our priority. We place you first. And Lord, we ask that you would add all these other things to us that you would grant us the desires of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I encourage you to continue with this fast. I encourage you to continue pushing through. 
because God is hearing your prayers and he's granting you the desires of your heart because you're not just praying formulas. You're not just putting words together, but your prayer is well packaged. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.